Actually, the question, why am I here, in a, in a sense, I want to ask it a different way. What I'm really wanting to ask you, why am I here on earth? What am I here for? Do I have intrinsic value? Do I serve a purpose? Is there a meaning to my life? Where did I come from? And these are all fundamental questions which people have been asking through all different cultures and different ways right throughout the ages. They are life's big questions, aren't they? And how you answer these questions determines how you see the world and how you treat the world and treat other people in the world. And then how you see the world determines how you treat yourself and see yourself. So it's important we wrestle with these fundamental questions to discover the truth. And in the Western world, truth seekers or people that have been asking these sorts of questions, particularly those who come from a philosophical point of view, have given us over the centuries a myriad of schools of thought, including some of these ones. I don't know if you recognize any of these sorts of names. Platonism, Aristotelianism, Cynicism, Epicureanism, Stoicism, Classical Liberalism, Utilitarianism, Nihilism, Pragmatism, Existentialism, Absurdism, I like that one, I'm pretty absurd, absurd sometimes. Secular humanism, logical positivism, positivism, postmodernism, atheism, naturalistic pantheism, embodied cognition, and so on and so on and so on. I can't even tell you what most of them mean, let alone pronounce them. And that's just many of the schools of thought in the Western world, let alone looking at other cultures around the planet Earth today. But of course, Christianity has a unique perspective on humanity's search for the meaning of life. And many aspects is completely unique from any other search. Even what we mean by the word Christian itself is very interesting, isn't it? Because over the years, many people have tragically lost their lives by daring call themselves Christian. And I I find that's really hard for us, isn't it, to understand in our take-it-or-leave-it Western world where you can be a Christian if you want, it's another choice of many, it's just a preference, it's, you know, it's... And unfortunately, we've watered it down so much, I think many times people think a Christian merely means for someone who lives a very moral, well-behaved life. So people then have the impression that a Christian is merely someone who adheres to a huge set of rules. And the more don'ts you have in your life, then the better Christian you probably are. Who would want to become a Christian if, they, if all they can think of is that we serve a God who's a killjoy, who has all these rules and regulations, and he's watching our every move, just wanting to pounce on us the minute we make a mistake or break one of those laws or mess up in some way, and then he longs to punish us because he loves to do that, and he's ne- he never, he can't, you can't please him, and he's always angry, and he's unapproachable, and all this stuff, it really makes people want to become Christians doesn't it? Not. Just think about that word for a moment, Christian. Christ, Ian. Being a Christian is all about Christ, isn't it? It's Christian, it's Christian, it's Christianity. Christians, 
Christ ones, belonging to Christ, loving Christ, obeying Christ, knowing Christ, living in and through and for Christ. Just keeping the Ten Commandments isn't a Christian, it's a Ten Commandment. That's a good word, I like that one actually. You know, poor people keep rejecting Christ. Do they really? Maybe they've not had a chance to really understand who Jesus Christ is. Maybe they're only rejecting the faulty portrayal of Christianity that they've seen around them, which sadly at times has actually very little to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? We call the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the first four books in the New Testament, we call them the Gospels. But they are not in themselves the Gospel, are they? They contain the Gospel, but they are not the Gospel. In fact, all the books of the Bible from beginning to end contain in some form or other, very, very abstractly or obscurely, in some hidden way, some truth about the Gospel. And particularly the New Testament is much more clear in that, isn't it? But, so what is the Gospel? Gospel literally, literally means good news. When Jesus was born and the angel came with a message, we often read this verse at Christmas time, don't we, in Luke chapter 2. I won't even give you the background to this because you probably know it really well, but look what the angel said when, around the time Jesus was born. The angel said, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great Joy to all people. So what does the good news do? Brings great joy. Who's it for? All people. That's very, very deep, isn't it? I'm really excited this morning. I've got some really good news, and I probably that's why I'm sort of looking a bit weird today, and I really haven't even asked you if I can share it. No, she's not pregnant. That's not that. It's okay. Because so. I reckon... Oh, I'll be really in trouble. If you, I'm making it, I already am in trouble, really, aren't I, actually? But that's, that's right. It's really exciting. Actually, my, my birthday's coming up, so I decided... That's not the good news. That's actually quite bad, because it's another number. I, I, decided, I decided last minute to buy myself a lotto ticket. And um, for some of you, that's bad news already. But, but you know what? I won... $16 million! <laughs> isn't that exciting? Yeah. Don't, you, don't you think it's absolutely exciting? It's amazing, isn't it? It's great, it's great, great news, you know. But, it, but it's great news for me, but it's not probably so great for you because you didn't win it, you know. But actually, it would be great news for you if I shared some of it with you, though, wouldn't it? So that it, we'd all have some good news, but that's not going to happen. Because I didn't buy a ticket, actually, and I didn't win it either, so, you know, so, you know. See, the point is that good news is normally very selective, isn't it? Because good news for one person doesn't necessarily mean it's good news for somebody else. You're with me on this, aren't you? I mean, last weekend, um, France won the Football World Cup, and that was great news for them and for all their fans. But it wasn't such great news for the English fans or the Croat fans and all those other people, the other nations that were hoping that their team would win. The gospel is good news, but not all good news is the gospel. 
I'm getting older, my voice is starting to break at last. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> Been waiting for that for a long time. Something really different about the good news of the gospel. The gospel good news is unique because it's exactly the same great news for all people, right? It brings great joy to all people, no exceptions, no people left out, not just for the elite few, no one excluded. The benefits of the good news of the gospel are for the same for every human being. So that means, in my deduction, if we're not giving people good news and we're sharing the gospel, we're not really sharing the gospel at all. Trying to keep the law and the hundreds of rules is not good news. Anyone agree with me? Trying to be good and failing day after day, that's not good news, is it? The gospel is the good news. And it's the theme of the Bible from the beginning to the end. Let's look at the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible and see if we can find some good news in there in Genesis chapter 1. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and so on and so on. First chapter, first book. Let's jump to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. Can you see good news in these verses? I can see great news in those couple of verses. Hearing that creator God designed us to be in his own image, to be like him. There's a slide, I think, that comes up about this one. To be like him is good news. Knowing that he made us to be like him, knowing that he loves us is good news. Knowing that he loves to bless us is good news. Realizing we can know him and live with him for eternity, that's good news. Would you agree with me? First book of the Bible, last book of the Bible, great news already. So from the beginning to the end of the Bible, you see great news. It's God's design, the gospel, the good news. It's his design. It's his plan for humanity. And our response to that gospel is not a destination. It's a journey. It's a pathway for all that God has planned for us. That means the gospel is not just for those that don't yet know Jesus. It's also for those that know Jesus already because that pathway we're on carries on right through into eternity. Good news. The good news is for all people. I'm going to ask you to do something else with this this morning. You may not like it, but it's too bad because I'm going to ask you anyway. For a few moments, turn to someone next to you or just near you. See if together, we'll just give you two minutes. Together come up with a sentence that you would help tell someone what the gospel is. Tell someone what a good definition, a good sentence summing up what is the gospel. Just have a wee chat with your neighbor. See if you can come up with something. What would be a good sentence you would think that would help understand what the gospel is? I'll have a drink while I'm waiting for you to get that done. Is it all right? I thought there should be more noise than that, actually, but that's all right. 
Okay. It's probably not been refined and redefined and re-refined and yet, but it's probably there in its raw state, right? I find that an interesting exercise. Don't know if you've ever done that before. The first time that ever happened to me, I was in my late teens. It's about the same time that Noah built the ark. You know, who remembers that time? Who else was, who else was around then? <laughs> in my late teens, I, was, I had the privilege of going with a group of other teens to Australia, to Adelaide, to a Salvation Army youth conference. Jill was part of that group too. Was it 1969, 1970 or something? Yeah, we do go back that far, by the way. Yeah, it's a long time ago, isn't it? And one of our breakout, sen- uh, one of our breakout sessions, the speaker posed that same question to us. He said, I want you to, in your group, talk about what the gospel is, come up with a sentence to define the gospel. So we got into our groups and we had to come up with an agreed definition from the people that were with us and we talked about it and robust discussion and we refined it and changed it and wrote it better and trying really hard to make this guy think how amazing we were and we, we really you know, have this, this masterpiece that our group came up with and, and then it was time for us to have a chosen person from our group to share what our definition was. We were really thinking he would just love it, you know. But to our, our surprise and a little bit frustra- frustration, he would answer like this, too long, complicated, too much information, shorten it, try again, okay, so we got back and then we talked again and then he, once it was all over, he told us what he considered was the best definition, it was his of course, you know, three words, three words. Anyone want to know what they were, by the way? So I don't just skip to the next part? It's, okay, okay. God became man. God. Good point. I'll tell you my reaction too soon, Ray. That would be. My reaction wasn't as nice as yours. God became man. Now, back in those days, we teens thought we knew better than old people, and I know that's not the, like that today, because I've realized today that young people do know a lot more than old people. I, it's true, you know. <laughs> and I remember thinking, he's so wrong. And my group's definition was the best. You know, I mean, where is repentance in his definition? Where is the blood of Jesus there? Where's, where's the cross? Where's Jesus even mentioned in that definition? And the word became sounds like it's something that happened a long time ago and it's no longer any use. What is that all about? But actually what this wise old guy, I think he was about 40, <laughs> what, what this wise old guy was doing was he was helping us find a brief Summary as a springboard to be able then to further explain to someone else or even to our own hearts what the gospel really is. That's a briefer definition, actually, that one, isn't it? (laughs) Didn't sound like good news, though. 
For me, his definition is still not probably the one I would always use personally to describe the gospel, but it's actually very profound, isn't it? Because it's talking about the incarnation, God clothing himself in humanity, being born as a baby. It points to Jesus, fully God, fully man, understanding our weakness and understanding our sin, but partaking in none of those things himself. Through his, and providing the antidote for men's sin and mistakes through the cross and his sinless, sinless life and his sacrifice on the cross. Then that brings into mind his unconditional love and his mercy and his grace to us all and so on and so on. God became man. It encapsulates a miniature, doesn't it? Some of the great truths of the gospel. One of my favorite verses, passages in John, is John 1 that I remember Remembering, I, I learned John 1 by memory numbers of years ago, and, and it's sort of lost quite a lot of it now because, you know, there's so many translations and you get them muddled up, so the Bennett's translation always comes out these days. But John 1 was on the... Who noticed it up there this morning when you came in? Cool, good on you. Was on there playing for about quarter an hour before the service. Wonderful passage, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word. Those of you who haven't come across this part before, this is a picture language for Jesus, where the word, Word in capital letters, that's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Notice the similarity between what our friend back in Adelaide said in this, God The Word became flesh. God became man. And here we have the Apostle John in this wonderful passage right at the beginning of his gospel, of his writings about Jesus, telling us in poetic form about the Christ of Christianity. He's proclaiming loud and clear through these first words of his his book, Jesus is not and never can be just considered to be a great teacher. He is not just another significant figure in human history. He isn't a social revolutionary, and he's not one of the great prophets. He's God. He became human and came to show us how to have relationship with him. That's good news. That's the gospel. So getting back to what you might have decided together, your definition of the gospel, I'm not going to ask you. It's probably longer than God became man, right? Might not have been. Your group might have been really clever and had two words or whatever, but there again, it might have been really long. I don't know. Might have been similar to what John wrote in his third chapter in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If your definition has the word love in it somewhere, or Jesus in it somewhere, or God in it somewhere, then you're definitely on the right track. Would you agree? The motivation of God's heart is love. God loves you, and he wants to be with you. 
Well, there's a great definition of the gospel in itself, surely, isn't it? God loves you, and he wants to be with you. That's good news. That can open up a whole lot of things you can talk about to somebody else, what it really means to be a Christian. Brings great joy. The gospel is the revelation of God's love through Jesus Christ. Who he is. What he's done. And every time we declare that in some form or other, we're preaching the gospel. So the answers to life's big questions can only be answered adequately and for eternity by the gospel. You know, the cross of Jesus Christ is at the center of the gospel story, but it doesn't start there. The cross wasn't a quickly thought out, last minute solution when God saw the mess humanity was in. The good news starts with God's original design when he carefully and deliberately designed mankind to be in his image and have a relationship with him. Let's remind ourselves of that Genesis 1 verse again. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I don't know if you've noticed this before. Did I cut out and come back? No. Just in my head. Okay, I don't know if you've noticed this. But right throughout the Genesis account, notice what happens in creation in chapter 1. God speaks and he creates with the power of his word. And it tells us that darkness covered the face of the deep. What happens in verse 3 of chapter 1? The Spirit of God's hovering over the waters, and God says, let there be light. And there was light. I read an account where the person says those words, let there be, shouldn't even be there, because on their mind it was like God just suddenly went, light! And light happened. Can you just see that happening? But the point being that every time from then on, incrementally as he began to speak into different parts of of what was then to become the universe as we know it and, and the creatures that are there, he used his word and had the power of his word, God's creation sprung to life at the power of that word. But look what happened when God created humanity. There was special treatment for this part of creation. Because he had huge plans and designs for it. Genesis 2, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So God altered his technique when it came to mankind. He stooped down, and with his own hands, he got his hands dirty and formed mankind with his own hands. And then he breathed the breath of life. The Bible tells us that Adam became a living being or a living soul made in the image of God, designed to have a personal relationship with him. Excuse me, Ryan. Trying to clear that frog away. Nothing to do with the Football World Cup either. It's just something else. That's really bad. I told you I'd get into trouble sometime, and I didn't think I had enough yet, so I thought I should now. That's, yeah. Who has someone at home that tells them how many times they did something bad? When No one does. Okay. Wish I didn't. <coughs> Sorry, I wish I... 
I think I need them. I'm sorry, just, just speak to someone for a moment, will you? Because I really need to just... I've got, I have got a bit of hay fever, and I'm just needing to get rid of... You're not meant to look. Not meant to look. That's good. Sorry about that. No one did. They didn't cover my... <laughs> indiscretion. You know, if we could have an understanding that we're made in the image of God, not just a head understanding, but a heart understanding... Changes the way you think about yourself and the people around about you. Because you're created in the image of God with dignity, honor, and respect. You were created body, soul, and spirit, the ability to think, to feel, to dream, to create, to love, to live out God's plan. That's exciting. Hands up those who've got something like this. In some form or another. There's only about five of you. That's a bit weird. Hands got something like this and some, just about everybody's hand goes up. Yours will be much newer and nicer than mine, I'm pretty sure. I can see it is over there. Yours is newer than mine, isn't it, Carl? Even your iPad's a nice, slim little model, and I've got the old-fashioned big one. Yeah, yeah, I know. These are really smart, aren't they, these smartphones? They really are. I mean, you can... Any, probably some of you are at the moment, you're communicating with people around the world by videos and, and you can watch movies and you listen to music and you can down the weather and you can get latest news and you can buy something and you can pay your, pay your offering at church on it and you can purchase things on it and you can, it just goes on. And believe it or not, you can even make phone calls on them. It's amazing. They're really smart. There's a whole world in there, isn't there? Your whole life just about carries around in your pocket in these things in these days. It's made up of computer chips and gizmos and who know what, some thingamajigs and all the others I have no idea about. But just imagine how much creativity and the design that went into making these things. How much happened with the thinking over the years of developing the technology that's going into these amazing things that we just take for granted today. The phone didn't just happen to design itself and happen to be one day. It's not a random chance that this thing is in front of me here. It's just someone has put, it's just an amazing, amazing amount of years and hours of carefully crafted technology. Just like every other amazing piece of electronic equipment or inventions in today's world. And yet no matter how amazing any of those inventions are, how much more complex and amazing and the creative energy that God put into into making us, humanity, the human being, designed and made with the creative energy and love of God. Wow. Even the ability ability to create and design and all those things that mankind can do comes because we are made in his image. Awesome. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Ephesians 2. I think I'm almost out of time, Carl. I don't really care, but it's okay. I just, just... No, I do. I have no idea what time I was supposed to start or finish, so it's almost there. Look at this wonderful verse in Ephesians 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That was the English Standard Version. Your international version says we are God's 
handiwork. New Living Translation, for we are God's masterpiece. Who likes that one? The Greek word can be translated poem, work of art, song. How amazing. We're God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are his poem, his song, his work of art, his handiwork. We are greater than the greatest engineering or architectural feat, the most recent technological advance, the most beautiful song or symphony or dance or poem or work of art or the latest medical uh, breakthrough, etc., because we are crafted by the hand of God. The breath of life breathed into us so we could have relationship with him. God's plan. God's design. This is just the start of a few weeks on this theme, and today's just one piece of the puzzle. It's probably the... What do you do, what do, you do first, job with your, your, your puzzles? It's the, the edges, right? You, it's, this is the edges. Hopefully by the end of the series, the rest of the pieces will come together. And the picture will be clear. Tim, could you come back up for me, please? That would be awesome. What wonderfully good news the gospel is. Who agrees with me? Brings great joy to all people. The good news, we're lovingly, purposefully made by God to be like him so we could know him and make him known was his plan before time began. Even when sin first entered humanity and broke that close relationship, God's plan didn't change. Even though the world is mostly far from him today and in great turmoil, his plan has not changed. It's still the same. And the gospel's ability to change lives is still as powerful as it ever was. Anyone pleased about that this morning? Aren't you wonderfully glad today that you have responded to that Wonderful good news at some stage in your life. Or if you haven't yet, then I believe you will.